Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back to the Tom Hartman Program. We had a few days off, which was nice. You know, Louise and I got a lot done, and I got some good writing done, and, and uh, we fed a lot of geese and ducks here. It's remarkable. Ducks are the worst parents in the world, and, and geese do a pretty good job. But uh, anyway, we're all learning. We're all growing. We're all, you know, hopefully we're all making it through this. There are some, some very real and very serious challenges that we're all facing, frankly. But as we're watching the Donald Trump campaign for president, and literally every single day now, it used to be two, three times a week, now it's every single day I'm getting an email from Donald Trump offering to sell me a coloring book, offering to send me in a certificate for my wall, you know, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And one of the things I'm noticing is that while they all look the same, like they're all, they've all got the same Trump-Pence logo and all this kind of stuff, that actually there's a bunch of different groups that are sending them. I mean, one is from a super PAC, one is from a merchandise company. Now, these are all apparently groups that are owned by or managed by Donald Trump or to the benefit of the Trump and the Trump families. But only a few of them are actually raising money for the campaign. As far as I can tell, it's, it's fascinating. But I think more broadly, the contours of Donald Trump's re-election strategy are finally coming into view. You know, as we're about to hit 100,000 dead Americans in all probability today, he's doubling down. He's basically saying 100,000 dead? Hey, we could go for a million dead. I mean, f- functionally, it, it appears that his strategy is the old Hancock strategy from the U.K., Boris Johnson's health minister, Matthew Hancock, if I'm remembering his name correctly, was herd immunity. Let's get enough people infected that we've got herd immunity. Now, this was also Sweden's idea. And they thought, okay, cool, we'll get enough, because herd immunity is, you know, between 50 and 70% of the population has it. And what that means is, or has had it, is immune to it. And what that means is that, you know, a few people can get sick here and there, but you know, they're going to bounce up against people who are already immune, so it's not going to keep spreading, right? That's the whole theory. And then Sweden did some pretty good antibody testing recently. The original antibody testing was not so good because there's three different proteins that it was looking at, and two of those proteins are shared by regular common cold viruses, what's called the HCOV number 43 and number 2, which are the two primary human cold viruses, just common cold that are floating around. They have two of the three same proteins in them that the COVID does because they're all the coronavirus family. But COVID has this third, this spike protein that, that locks into the angiotensin receptor sites, and, which is unique from the common cold. But because they weren't just testing for that, they were thinking that they had 30, 40% of the country, you know, with antibodies. Well, then they got the more sophisticated test. And we're starting to see this here in the United States as well. There were some places that were using these old tests 
or the old tests, these commercial tests that the FDA did not approve that were sold by the millions. I mean, the uh, CDC is combining those dysfunctional test numbers with the real test numbers to give Trump his millions and millions of tests. But in any case, that's kind of a digression. But, you know, the bottom line is that when Sweden actually tested, they found that after six months of just basically saying, okay, we're going to shut the high schools and the colleges and we're going to close things like theaters and, you know, no big gatherings. And we encourage people to social distance, but no laws. Now, in Sweden, people generally do what the government says because the government is very responsive to them. The government is Sweden, right? I mean, people people trust their government. And so there was a lot of social distancing, but still what they found is that only 7% of their population has herd immunity. And they have the highest death rate in Scandinavia massively and one of the highest death rates in the world. And so the Swedes are sitting around going, whoa, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. But with Trump, he's still running on this old, you know, Hancock, uh, Torres Tager, or whatever the guy's name is in Sweden, you know, the economist. He's still running on their idea of herd immunity, as far as I can tell. He wants to get as many people infected as possible in the red states so that by November they will have herd immunity and they can go vote. Yeah, some of their grandparents may have died, but, you know, we're talking about, generally speaking, healthy white people here. And, you know, all the news reports are saying, hey, you know, it's black people who are dying three to three to one against white people. And it's old people who are dying, like, you know, more than half, more than a third in most states, more than half in some states, really old people. And so, you know, I'm a 40-year-old white guy who's a Trump voter, and I'm not old, and I'm not black, and so why do I care? And if you watch the news coverage over the weekend, you saw a lot of that, you know, where they were going to these places that were packed with people and sticking microphones in their faces and saying, why aren't you wearing a mask? What do you think? And one guy says, well, I'm not wearing a mask because I'm not afraid. Well, it's not about being afraid. It's about infecting your friends and family. You know, another guy says, I'm not wearing a mask because the president isn't wearing a mask. If he doesn't care, why should I care? So, you know, this is basically the story. And he's counting on Democrats and other well-informed voters to try to avoid getting sick, thus staying sheltered in place for another five, six, seven months until November. And to continue believing that masks and social distancing are vital, so they'll be reluctant to go to the polls this November. And that perfectly explains why Trump went nuts when Gavin Newsom in California mailed absentee ballot applications to everybody in the state. The RNC sued him for that. And why Governor Whitmer, Gretchen Whitmer, in, uh, the Democratic governor of Michigan, when she sent out 7.5, 7.7 ballot uh, applications to everybody in the state, Trump started trashing her and saying, oh, this is going to be election fraud, right? But there is a downside. There is a danger to his strategy. And therefore, what he's doing right here is he's placing a very, very high stakes bet. And my question to you is, do you think he's going to win this bet or not? And his bet is that if the red states and the swing states can get past that infection peak this summer and early fall, particularly among, you know, maskless followers of Fox and right-wing hate radio, he may end up with a good turnout for the election. On the other hand, as the death rates rise in these states, if some of these governors can't help him hide the statistics, we know five governors right now that are hiding statistics, but, you know, hey, he's got 20 red states or more. If those governors can't help him hide the statistics and the news media begins to show what's going on, Trump will be seen as Herbert Hoover. You know, a a doddering, ineffectual, didn't get anything done guy during a serious crisis. And Americans don't vote for ineffectual leaders. So we'll see. But I mean, you know, the fact that he's demanding that the RNC, the, the Republican convention, be held in North Carolina with people packed shoulder to shoulder to the rafters proves that he's committed to this herd immunity strategy. Now, here's the problem. If this thing has a fatality rate of 1%. And if he can infect half of Americans who are Republicans, you know, half of Americans, that's 160 million Americans roughly, half of them is 80,000. If he, 80 million, if he can infect 80 million people at a 1% infection rate, you're talking about 800,000 dead people. At a 2% infection rate, you're talking about 1.6 million dead people. 
And it looks like the infection rate, or the death rate rather, versus the infection rate in the United States is way above 2%. So is he going to get away? If he tries to kill a couple million Americans and succeeds, will he get away with, with it? This is the Tom Hartman Program. I mean, are Republicans going to say, yeah, okay, we're willing to see a million or two million people die in order to reelect Trump? What do you Did you know that Ronald Reagan committed treason to become president in 1980 and George Herbert Walker Bush was in on it and he avoided being prosecuted for this in 1992 with a little help from Bill Barr? It's on page 116 of my book, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. Donald Trump went nuts on Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. She is sending out applications for absentee ballots to all 7.7 million registered voters in Michigan. It doesn't mean that everybody gets an absentee ballot. It means that everybody has a hoop that they can jump through to get an absentee ballot, which is going to further suppress the vote because it's going to mean that only the most motivated voters are going to fill out that you know, application for a ballot and send it back in. So, you know, that's kind of the downside of it. And, you know, there's never been any studies anywhere that indicate that there is a partisan advantage to vote by mail. But uh, nonetheless, Donald Trump went nuts. He said, uh, I will ask to hold up funding to Michigan if they want to go down this voter fraud path. She replied, uh, Jocelyn Benson, she says, I have a name. It's Jocelyn Benson, and we sent applications, not ballots, just like my GOP colleagues in Iowa, Georgia, Nebraska, and West Virginia. And then she goes on to say, by mailing applications, we've ensured that no Michigander has to choose between their health and their right to vote. Voting by mail is easy, convenient, safe, and secure, and every voter in Michigan has a right to do it. And by the way, this was voted on with a two-thirds majority as a ballot initiative, in, I believe it was 2018, recently. But the story gets more interesting after that. Walter Schaub is uh, tweeting a little bit of federal law, and I quote, whoever uses any part of any appropriation made by Congress for work relief, relief, or for increasing employment by providing loans and grants for public work projects or exercises or administers any authority conferred by any appropriation act for the purposes of interfering with, restraining, or coercing any individual in the right the exercise of his right to vote at any election shall be fined under this title or imprisoned. In other words, Donald Trump just broke the law. Speaking of broke the law, the whole Republican thing about lock her up, Hillary Clinton, was that she used a private email server. Well, it's starting to get real interesting. It turns out that Mike Pompeo who's also Secretary of State. Keep in mind, Hillary Clinton used a private email server when she was Secretary of State. She didn't use it for official business. She used it for personal business, but there were some official emails that got on it because, you know, she was included in things. And she turned all those over to the government, by the way. This whole thing of, you know, she vanished them or, you know, whatever, that was the, those were the personal ones. But in any case, the whole point, you know, Trump's whole campaign for president in 2016 was she should be in jail because she used a private email server. Well, it turns out Mike Pompeo is doing the same thing as Secretary of State. And he's doing it for these, you know, fancy schmancy meetings, these dinners that he's having, these very expensive, very elegant, very, you know, all expenses paid balls. I mean, you know, just these huge dinners that he's having with celebrities and 100% Republicans, not a single Democrat ever invited. His wife has been organizing these things, and it's all being done through a private Gmail account, Susan Pompeo's private Gmail account. That's illegal. Elizabeth in Miami, Florida. Hey, Elizabeth, what's up? Hi. Thank you for all you do. And I wanted to ask you about rank choice voting and if you could educate Mm -hmm. about that. Because it's, you know, we have such a group of characters that are running for office. And I thought that, that that if you could tell us more about ranked choice voting, it might help us. Sure. I'll, I'll give you a, a quick snapshot. You know, this comes up maybe every month or so, and it's, it's a good one. It's a really important one. And there needs to be more discussion about it in the United States, Elizabeth. So thank you for, for, uh, for bringing the topic up. The way this works 
The example I'll use, because it doesn't have much, uh, you know, huge emotional charge to it, is the 2000 election. In the 2000 election, Louise and I lived in Vermont, and I knew Vermont was going to go for Al Gore. And I really liked Ralph Nader and the things he was saying. He was running on the Green Party. And so I voted for Ralph Nader and Louise voted for Al Gore. We split our ticket. My vote for Ralph Nader, you know, when Ralph Nader had only got like 5% or 2% of the vote or whatever it was, basically was thrown away. With ranked choice voting, my ballot, the ballot option I would have been given was who is your first choice, who's your second choice, and sometimes who's your third or fourth choice, depending on how many candidates there are and how they're doing it. Let's just say it's the first two choices. So I would have said, okay, my first choice is Ralph Nader, but my second choice is Al Gore. So they collect the ballots and they count them all up, all everybody's first choice. And if Ralph Nader didn't hit 15% or, or a threshold defined by the law, it varies, but typically it's around 15%. If Nader didn't hit 15%, then all those first choices who chose Nader would lose that first choice and their second choice. So my second choice would have become my official vote. So Al Gore would have gotten my vote after all, but everybody would have learned that there was a certain number of people in Vermont who really liked Ralph Nader. And what this does is it opens up the political process because it doesn't mean that third party participants in an election anymore are spoilers. So uh, Ralph Nader, if I vote for Ralph Nader, it doesn't take a vote away from Al Gore and give it to George Bush functionally. Instead, I end up voting for Al Gore anyway because he was my second choice. So sometimes this is referred to as instant runoff voting, too, because it's almost like you've got a runoff election within the election. San Francisco does this as a city. There are 300 towns around the United States that do it. In every case, it was put on the ballot by the Green Party. Uh, The Green Party has been at the forefront of this. The Democratic Party and the Republican Party both hate this. And uh, for the simple reason that it diminishes their power, which in my opinion is the reason why we should all be supporting ranked choice voting. They'll end up, you know, with the votes anyway until they don't. But, you know, people say, hey, how come Germany has, you know, 10 different political parties? How how come there's, you know, five major political parties in in Israel? Why, Why can't we have that? Well, because we don't have ranked choice voting or a parliamentary system. So that's how we get it. We'll be back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And I believe the state of Maine is doing ranked choice voting now. I may be wrong. It may be just part of Maine. But uh, moving along. It's moving forward. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Lou in Torrington, Connecticut. Hey, Lou, what's on your mind? A short time ago, I heard Trump. He was leaving for somewhere, I forget. But they they mentioned the the mail-in voting and you know it looks as though he's going to push back on that so i have this idea i don't know what you would think of it uh have you ever seen the nurses in the hospitals they walk around with these mobile computers you know outside mm-hmm. of every room you know they wheel them around why can't we have a drive-through voting with these pads right there you know uh right next to our doors on the car and you just stick your hand out the window and vote I mean, if they won't do the mail-in, maybe the drive-thru would be another alternative. Yeah, the problem is they have to check you in. They have to compare you with the list. You know, there's a little song and dance that has to be done first, particularly in the states that have made it really hard to vote, you know, where you've got to show ID and you've got, you know, all this kind of stuff. And that would make it very vulnerable to weather. And, you know, having long lines of cars and things. You know, it's not a terrible idea. I I can tell you, though, you know, for 22 years here in Oregon... This state has been voting by mail. I, uh, Louise and I lived here for, I don't know how many years before, I think it was around five years. Then we moved to D.C. for seven years, and we've been back here for three or four years. And, and uh, it's just wonderful. I've voted in several elections now by mail. I just voted in our primary by mail a few weeks ago. And it's so easy. It's so convenient. You get the information. You know, you get a little booklet that tells you where the candidates can write up their little sales pitches. And it's just very straightforward. We really need to be seriously thinking about moving towards something like that. Lou, thanks a lot for the call. Alexis in Brookline, Massachusetts. Hey, Alexis, what's on your mind today? I wanted to talk to you today about what I'm kind of seeing as an alt-left pipeline going on, where left spaces that I had become involved with through the Bernie Sanders campaign and being very excited for him have now become anti-Biden instead of anti-Trump. And they never talk about Trump. And these are very popular, very major online, you know, news sources and YouTube channels. And I'm afraid that Republicans and the Russians are possibly using these as a way to cause more division on the left? And could we have another 2016 on our hands? Yeah, we could. And there's a couple of points here that I think need to be made, Alexis, and you raised a really important issue. The first is that whenever a political party basically settles on their new candidate, you're going to have some people in that party who are unhappy and they're going to express their displeasure. And typically that goes on for a few few months and then they either get with the program or they just kind of fade in the background and they end up being the people who don't show up to vote. We saw a lot of that in 2016 with people who were not happy with Hillary. Basically, they split into two groups, the much larger group were former supporters of largely Bernie Sanders who decided to vote for Hillary and many of them actually actively campaigned for Hillary. I was in that camp. And then there was a group of people who said, ah, screw it, and they voted for Jill Stein or they just didn't bother to vote. On the Republican side, you had the exact same thing. You had a lot of people who were, you know, big supporters of Jeb Bush or Marco Rubio or, you know, any of the more credible candidates and some of the fringe candidates, you know, like Newt Gingrich. 
And when Donald Trump got the nomination, some of them became never Trumpers and some of them became and a lot of them just, eh, you know, no big deal. They didn't bother to show up. You know, keep in mind, Trump lost the election by three million votes. And that's certainly going to happen the next time. It's going to be chosen. You know, the, the, the election will be decided in the Electoral College. So that's that's just normal. That has happened in every election cycle going back probably to, to John Adams. But the thing that's abnormal and that I've been noticing also on my Twitter feed and on our Facebook feed are these accounts. In many cases, when you go back and you look at the account, you see that it was either opened before the last election, the 2016 election, and you know, mm-hmm. may have a few hundred followers and a couple thousand posts, and most of those are back in 2016, and now it's been reactivated. Or it's a brand new account that has you know, that follows 25 people and has three followers. And, you know, it was just put into commission in the last three or four months. And these are, by and large, bots. They're either bots that are being paid for by the Trump campaign or by people associated with the Trump campaign, or they're bots being paid for by foreign governments. We, we learned uh, from Seth Abramson's brilliant book that in the 2016 election, you had bots from Israel, you had bots from Russia, you had bots from Saudi Arabia, and you had bots out of China. They were very much in the minority. But you had bots in a big way from three major countries who were interfering in our election in 2016. Russia by you know, far and away the most bots from the Internet Research Bureau, and that's who got you know, busted by Obama. And in the process of trying to track them down and figuring out how they were involving themselves in our election and you know, tapping into our election computers and things like that, you know, they came across Mike Flynn, so, uh, you know, which Trump is trying to turn into a scandal. So the bots are something relatively new, but they were very successful in 2016. It's going to be real interesting, Alexis, to see this time around how successful they are, because a lot of us are got, you know, have gotten wise to them. I, you know, routinely, two, three times a day on my Twitter feed, I'm simply blocking people. I'm, I have no tolerance for these bots anymore. You know, occasionally it's obvious it's a real person who's a real conservative, and you go back and they're big Trump supporters, they got all this MAGA stuff. I just leave them alone because... People can argue with them. They're actual real people. But these bots have, you know, they're run on artificial intelligence protocols that are kind of like the old ELISA program from the 1980s, the little basic routine where you say this and they'll say that and they'll take one word out of what you said so it looks like it's a dialogue, but you're actually talking to a computer. And, uh, you know, it's better just to block them and do away with them. But the other sad fact is that You've got Joe Biden still, you know, the Biden campaign and the Democrats and the media are all still talking about Joe Biden, quote, in his basement. They need to Mm -hmm. strip that language out of their vocabulary. In his basement sounds like a guy who's hiding. He needs to stop talking about his friggin' basement. And so do all the Democrats. And he needs to announce his, his vice presidential candidate so we get a sense of which direction the campaign's going to go and, and who's going to probably be our president in 2024. So... You know, there's a lot that needs to be done, and, and I don't mean this critically of Joe Biden. I want Joe Biden to win. I, you know, I'm very, mm-hmm. very concerned that if Donald Trump gets reelected, that's the end of democracy in America. Bill Barr will shut things down. All these right-wingers he's put on the courts will totally back him, and we're going to be right back to, we're going to be where Germany was in 1936, and, and that's not a good place. Or maybe where, let's say, uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm not anticipating final solution stuff, although we do have tens of thousands of people right now in concentration camps, including concentration camps for children that are still running. Um, so, you know, anything's possible, I suppose, but probably more like Mussolini or uh, Franco in Spain, that kind of thing. But this this is really concerning, and it's, you know, it's what we've got to do. Alexis, thank you for the call. It's an important one. Patrick in Long Island, New York. Hey, Patrick, what's on your mind today? Well, I wanted to first thank you for being a good therapeutic ear while we were having roughly a half hour from my home, 770-something people die a night. We're down here in New York to about 110, I think it was, last night. If you saw Andrew Cuomo, maybe he, you have a more accurate figure than I do. But thank you for the ear. I appreciate that. And the other thing I wanted to mention was I had talked to you uh, on previous occasions about the fact that I don't believe Trump will be going anywhere. And my feeling as time goes on is getting stronger that he's not going anywhere and that he's becoming extremely, extremely reckless, which is how you bankrupt a company. And as if he was not reckless before. 
before. Now he's with the chlorocure thing. You know, he's doing a snake oil pitch. Uh, look at me. I can drink it. It's it's safe. And, uh, you know, this went over back in the 1800s where nobody ever talked to anybody because you were separated by miles of uh, no people. But as I said, I expect there to be claims of voter fraud, uh, uh, buses of immigrants coming up, and an appeal to the Supreme Court, lawsuit filed, appeal to the Supreme Court, and next thing you know, we're sitting there in June, July, and Trump is still president. Yeah. It's like the oldest scam ever, you know? It's like, you know, I've got, you know, Doc, Dr. Trump's magic elixir here. Yes, indeed, yeah, I'll drink and, a little bit of it myself. It's and, just and fine. I, I, it goes down I, well. I wish the fact that um, uh, the fact that he owns stock in these companies would be made public. Yeah, and and his one of his largest donors, who has who is very very rich and has promised to help him get reelected. Patrick, thank you for the call. Spot on, Tanya in Geneva, Alabama. Hey, Tanya, what's up? Hey, I got a question, Tom. I'm a first time caller. My husband loves your show, so I watch it with him. Thank you, Tanya. Here's my question: How come nobody has mentioned that with opening up our country? And Trump saying everything he is about, well, there's no coronavirus, it's going away, da-da-da. How come we open up now, and isn't it a possibility that everybody's going to get sick, hopefully just the Republicans, because they'll follow their leader, and then we won't be able to vote come November because he'll close down the place. He'll close it and tell us we can't go vote, and he doesn't want us using paper. And already in Alabama, it's too late to get your vote by mail thing. So really, wow. so my my question is, how come nobody's talking about that? The fact that that's that's probably in his plans. That's in his crazy yeah. brain. Well, this is okay. how these guys think. There's no doubt about that, Tanya. My personal theory: there's there's not a, a constitutional or legal basis for uh, postponing the elections. It just doesn't exist. Congress would have to pass a law, and even then it would be subject to judicial scrutiny. But what is possible, and I really think the Republicans are thinking like this, they're pushing out this message, don't worry, be happy, take some chloroquine, and you can go to the, you can do whatever you want, you know, and you won't get the virus, so don't worry. And they're thinking that come November, the virus is going to be making its second wave. A lot of Americans are going to be very concerned. They're going to be mostly older Americans who are on Social Security or within 10 years of getting Social Security. That's the population that's most likely to die. And those people are most likely to vote Democratic because they want to protect Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. But they're also the population that's least likely to leave their homes to go vote because they don't want to die. And uh, whereas the Trumpsters... You know, Trump is reaching out to, to people by telling them, don't worry, be happy, everything's going to be okay. And if he can control that message on Fox News and right-wing hate radio long enough, then when the election happens on November 3rd, you're going to have, particularly in states like your state, Alabama, uh, Tanya, you're going to have uh, Republicans showing up at the polls thinking, hey, nothing to worry about. And Trump doesn't care about what anything happening after November 3rd. If there's a massive die-off of Republicans after November 3rd, you know, it'll be three weeks later. It'll be after he's been re-inaugurated. So he doesn't care. So he's just looking at that, figuring this is going to suppress, further suppress the Democratic vote and further enhance the, uh, the Republican vote. The one wild card on that math about who gets sick and who doesn't get sick and who's afraid to show up and who isn't afraid to show up are young people who are less likely to die from the virus and more likely to vote Democratic. But the problem is that history shows that people under 25 tend not to vote. I mean, you know, it's like the numbers are just terrible. It's like, you know, 20, 30 percent of the population are voting in those age groups. And but I think, you know, Tanya, I'm, I'm with you. I think that they're, you know, not that they're going to postpone the election, but I think that they're counting on election chaos and fear among older people who might be the people. And this is why Trump is, you know, and his people are not, you know, holding back about talking about, you know, gutting Social Security and Medicare, because they frankly don't think that Social Security and Medicare recipients, at least in a lot of the swing states, will show up to vote. Tanya, spot on. Thank you for the call and say hi to your husband for me. I really appreciate it. It's great to hear from you. And thank you for watching us on Free Speech TV. Aaron in Minneapolis. Hey, Aaron, what's on your mind today? Oh, hey, Tom. I was, I'm a small business owner from Minneapolis, and I was just thinking, in case we don't have mail-in voting, 
available like we would all like that I am planning on giving my staff the day off on election day. And I thought it might be worth planting the seed now that for any small businesses out there or any business owners of any size, that if we don't have the mail-in voting available, maybe we could start a campaign now to try and spread the word that let's plan on doing this so that we have as many people that are ready to go vote and, and, you know, prepare as much as we can with whatever masks and gloves and, and we could try and mobilize. Yeah. And I just, I just, Aaron, under I normal circumstances, I would support what you're saying. But if you make it a holiday, you're increasing the probability of crowds. Why not instead say that early voting is now going to last for 30 days? And so you've got 30 days of voting. So, you know, instead of having 100 people show up at the polls, you've got five or 10 people, you know, per hour or something like that so that you don't end up with large numbers of people. That sounds awesome. I think I'm just such a I'm just worried about worst case. I guess my idea is a worst case scenario type situation. I would love. Yeah, I'm with you on that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you on that. But I think that probably early voting if a state is absolutely, you know, if it's if it's like in their constitution, and so it would take some sort of massive change to go to vote by mail, then uh, at the very least, let's have early voting, which is probably not prohibited in their constitution, you know, last at least four weeks. Aaron, thank you. You're thank listening you. to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Back with more of the news of the day and your calls right after this. Jerry in San Francisco. Hey, Jerry, what's up? Hey, Tom. I'm uh, keeping the theme of uh, grifting. And you know, a friend of mine told me that take a look at the Patriot Act. In it, they yeah. give some kind of scenario. And I think you covered this maybe in, the, in your Hidden History of the War on, on voting, your book. They show a, a number of scenarios where actually Congress and even the executive branch could suspend the election. And I was wondering your take on that. To the best of my knowledge, there are no scenarios under which Congress can suspend the election. Well, it says, right, this is verbatim from the Patriot Act, says, under a variety of possible scenarios that could arise as a result of a terrorist attack before or during an election, either the Congress or the states might pass legislation which would affect the timing of these elections. Right. My, my point, there, there is uh-huh. no such legislation right now. And it oh, would have okay. to be, yeah, if you gotcha. wanted to bring that into law, it would take both the House and the Senate, and no way Nancy oh, Pelosi okay. is going to go with that. And in individual states, I don't know of any state that has, that has proposed legislation to postpone elections. That's the Ooh, kind of I thing where you wouldn't morning. just get... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it, Jerry. That's the kind of thing where, you know, you would get outrage from the right as well as the left. But what they are, in my opinion, planning on doing is in a number of states, um, basically preventing people from voting by mail on the assumption that Republicans are more likely. And um, and, and the proof of this, by the way, is, Mm -hmm. you know, just look at you go into these bars where these people are congregating without masks and high densities. And you ask them, you know, where do they get their news? Oh, Rush Limbaugh and Fox News. So the theory is Republicans are more likely to go out and vote. Democrats are more likely to stay home and be afraid of getting sick. And as a consequence, Republicans are going to win the elections if they can keep this virus going into the election. That's That's the Republican strategy, as far as I can tell right now, or at least part of it, for November of this year. We'll be back. It's 40, and thank you, Jerry, for the call. We'll be back. It's 45 minutes past the hour. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. How do we stop the grift? Or is it just going to take a wholesale, basically, repudiation of the Republican Party to stop it? Mary in Chicago. Hey, Mary, what's up? Yes, I called them because I've seen this playbook before. You know, I became uh, of a voting age when uh, McGovern was, you know, was running against Nixon. I've seen the storybook before, you know, where, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a lot of racial, you know, and social unrest. And to Mm -hmm. see somebody, you know, like Trump, open the scars of racial division again. Well, Mary, keep remember who were Richard Nixon's two principal advisors, Roger Ailes, 
who went on yeah. to found Fox News Network with Rupert Murdoch's yeah, yeah. money, and Roger Stone, who is Trump's best buddy and one of his principal advisors. So it shouldn't surprise yeah. us that Trump has reprised Nixon's silent majority and Nixon's I'm the president. If I say it, it doesn't it means it's not illegal. And, you know, all this other stuff, it shouldn't surprise us at all. But I agree with you. We are seeing history repeat itself. Yes, I think, you know, a large segment of the public has really caught wind as to how blatant, you know, this, mm-hmm. you know, this behavior has become. So I think people are pausing and say, whoa, I didn't sign yeah. up for this, you know? Yeah, yeah, I'm with so you, I think, I think the opportunity is there if we mm-hmm. get our act together and organize. Yeah, um, the- and- I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mary. Do your last sentence. Yes. So I think the challenge is to organize myself. I belong with a senior group that is pretty grassroots. That's great. And, uh, That's great. Mary, i got to move along, but thank you for the call, and thank you for watching us on Free Speech TV. Renee in Live Oaks, California. Hey, Renee, what's on your mind today? The thing I want to understand is the electorate. Now, that's, he's, like, what I looked up online is that it states online the electorate is there to protect the people from electing a dictator. And he's, like, the fifth president that has been elected by the electorate. Who are these You're talking people? about the electoral Do college? Do we really need them? You're talking about the Electoral College? Yes. That's who he was elected by because the popular vote was Hillary Clinton. Right. Every president since John Adams has been elected by the Electoral College. That's what the Constitution requires. There have been five of them. The two most recent Republican presidents, both Bush, who lost by a half million votes, and Trump, who lost by three million votes, who were elected by the Electoral College but not by the popular vote. The same thing was true of Rutherford B. Hayes, and I'm not sure who else. But, yeah, there's been a bunch of that, and we need to get rid of the Electoral College. The problem is it's in the Constitution. It was written in by the founders back, this goes back to 1787, literally, when it would have taken three, four, five days, maybe two weeks, to get a ballot or news about people running for president down to southern Georgia, for example, or northern Maine. And so what they did is they said each region will elect their local wise elder, essentially, who will go to physically go to Washington, D.C., get to know the candidates and cast the vote representing their state. And that's what happened for the first couple of elections. And and then, you know, the states started changing their individual laws, saying that their electors would take, you know, in, in all but two states, the states say that the electors have to vote for whoever the majority of the people in the state voted for in uh, Nebraska and Maine. I believe it's Nebraska. I'm pretty sure. And I know it's Maine. Each congressional district does that. And states have different ways of doing this. There is a program called the National Popular Vote. You can find it at nationalpopularvote.org. I don't know if it's org or com. You'll have to look it up. But the National Popular Vote is a program where all the states agree, or enough states to equal the number of electoral votes necessary to make somebody president, agree that when enough states have joined this compact, and they don't have enough states yet, but they're working on it, Virginia just joined, for example. When enough states join this compact that they can actually elect the president doing this, that each one of those states agrees that whoever gets the popular vote will get their electoral votes regardless of how the people of their state voted. That'll render the whole electoral college moot. It'll essentially eliminate the electoral college. And that's a good thing. I mean, you know, the Electoral College was originally put in for a variety of reasons. You know, the main one being that it would prevent a a knave from being elected. I think knave was the word that Madison used. But this is the way to do it, is nationalpopularvote.whateveritis. And so you can check that out, Renee. And if you're concerned about this issue, support that group, you know, that that is putting that together. and, And start calling your local... I forget what state you were in, Renee, but call the people in your state, the the members of your state assembly or house and your state senate, and tell them that you want them to vote for the National Popular Vote Compact, which will eliminate the Electoral College. We'll be back. It's .com. Alfredo in Mountain View, California. Hey, Alfredo, what's up? Hey, Tom. Hi. Yeah, I like your comments you were making earlier about uh, why people keep voting for Republicans. 
and they don't want to govern. Republicans, I don't think they're actually being elected. They're they're rigging the system with yes. gerrymandering, you know, rigging the computer voting machines, purging voters, millions of voters out of uh, voting. So, you know, that was my my answer to that, uh, you know. You're right. You're right. In Wisconsin, for example, more people voted for Democrats for the state legislature, yet it's controlled by Republicans. More people voted for members of Congress for Democrats than for Republicans. And yet they're, you know, legislative balances out of, you know, the same thing in North Carolina. Same thing. I mean, this is happening all over the country where you end up with these Republican legislatures, Republican controlled legislatures or a Republican congressional delegation because of gerrymandering. This is, you know, all the games that they played with uh, redrawing districts back in the after the 2010 election in 2011-2012. Zach in North Hollywood. Hey, Zach, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's up? Good morning, Tom. You know, we're going headlong straight into an election right now, and we've got to start talking straight with each other. And I'm going to try to do that now. You know, right now, all due respect to Joe Biden, he's a cigar store Indian that the center pushed out on rollers, and he's got a not Trump sign hanging around his Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are, too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Look around! You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. We need a solid three-plank platform that's one, two, three. Abolish the Electoral College, which promotes stolen elections and obstructs progress. Number two, revoke the phony Nixon DOJ OLC memo that promotes corruption 
and establish the post office as a not only unconditionally protected entity, but going all electric in all states so we can protect the count and protect the recount if necessary and move to establish a truly democratic majority wins voting structure like the Greeks. I like it. Yeah. I like it, Zach, and it's a great start. And this is where I'm just really, really hopeful that uh, Joe Biden picks a good progressive for VP. And and in fact, there's, uh, oh, I think I printed it out. In fact, there is uh, some, yeah, here we go. Elizabeth Warren would best unite the party for Joe Biden. This is a, uh, a new survey that comes out of Data for Progress. Data for Progress did a poll and said, which of the following Democrats would you like to see elected as vice presidential candidate? And the top line is that Warren got 31% of the vote, Harris got 18%, Abrams and Klobuchar each got 10%, and Whitman, Christy Todd Whitman, got 3%. And in particular, Warren's numbers were high in the under 45 crowd, but she beat everybody right across the board. She was the highest in support by black people, the highest in support by white people, the highest in support by Sanders supporters, the highest in support of Biden supporters, the highest among men, the highest among women. That was Warren. I love it. Warren in every one of those categories. I love it. Tom, can I yeah, say one a, more thing? Can you I certainly say just one can. more thing? I love the idea of Elizabeth Warren. And, you know, these three subjects I mentioned need debate. These things need debate. You know, yeah. we need to get it out front and be, make this our platform. The Electoral College, the DOJ memo, and the post office. I mean, yeah. everybody should yeah. call in with their top three. Yeah, those. Yeah, that's a good list. And, and everybody having three start is calling a good in idea. with their top three with their top three planks, and I think we're going to get somewhere. Yeah, I believe you're right. Thanks, Zach. Good talking to Thanks, you. Frank. This poll, by the way, is uh, reprinted over at uh, Daily Kos. Marcos Melitzis himself wrote the article around it. He says Biden is shrugging off anyone vocalizing discontent with Warren. That's good. He's plowing ahead with appeasing progressives who backed her campaign. He's hired two Warren staffers for his fundraising team. He's putting anti-Wall Street former staffer Ted Kaufman, the guy who replaced him in the Senate, in charge of his presidential transition team. These are all good signs. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Stick around. We'll be right back. Scott in Burien, Washington. Hey, Scott, what's up? You and Bill Maher have talked about this. Trump losing both the Electoral College and a popular vote, but still getting a second term, like, for example, Pence refusing to certify the vote. Why do you mm-hmm. think the mainstream media is not covering it more? Do you think they're afraid that if they did, that could actually discourage persons from voting? I think that what's going on here is that... <sighs> It's like wishful thinking on the part of the media. They believe that Trump won't go that far. And so they don't want to give it credibility. On the small chance that giving it credibility might cause him to go that far. And that's really dangerous thinking. I mean, that's how the media was treating Hitler in the 30s. That's how the Italian media was treating Mussolini in the late 1920s. It's how the Spanish media was treating Franco. And you see this mistake being repeated over and over and over again. You had opposition media in the Philippines as Duterte was coming to power and when he came to power. And they were calling him out. They were pointing out that he'd killed people when he was the mayor of, I think it was Mindanao. He was the mayor of a town in the Philippines. And then, you know, he went from there to being president of the country. And that he personally had killed people and had bragged about it. And, you know, they thought that this was like, you know, a great scandal that they were revealing and they were outing him. And what happened was, you know, the the public was like, okay, so what? And then, you know, when he became president, he went after them. And you've got reporters now who are in prison in the Philippines. So, you know, the the media in the United States, if Trump gets reelected, is in for a hell of a surprise. It's going to get really bad really fast. But let's hope that doesn't happen. It's the Tom Hartman Book Club. We're reading today from the American Revolution of 1800, the original edition written by Dan Sisson, and I contributed to the updated version. And this is from the afterword, which I wrote. 
Uh, we're on page 220. And we've talked about the five criteria that Thomas Jefferson had that will provoke a revolution, and we'd already covered the first three of them. This is the final two. When Reagan came to power after 50 years of New Deal policies, America was among the most socially mobile of all the world's developed nations. After 30 years of Reaganomics, however, the United States is among the least socially mobile nations in the developed world. All of this suggests a revolution could be brewing. Jefferson's final two criteria for a revolution were the people's understanding of their relationship to the constitutional powers present in the government of the day and even of the hour, and the degree of liberty expressed in a declaration of rights toward which the revolution aims. Once again, we find the vast majority of the people frustrated. In 1976, in the Supreme Court case Buckley v. Vallejo, the court discovered in the First Amendment an explicit protection for money and its uses, particularly with regard to politics. Two years later, in the case of First National Bank v. Bilotti, the Supreme Court found that the 14th Amendment was passed after the Civil War to give equal protection rights to corporations. Most Americans had never noticed the word money in the First Amendment, or indeed anywhere in the Constitution itself, and most Americans thought the Civil War was largely fought to free the slaves, not the transnational corporations. But there it was, and the Supreme Court brought these two decisions together in a big way in 2010 in its Citizens United v. Federal Election Commission ruling. Corporations were now persons, even humans, and money is no longer property, but it has become free speech. To add insult to injury, both major political parties have spent much of the past 30 years promoting so-called free trade deals that have added vast power to corporations to not only send American jobs overseas, but even to sue individual states or cities that might act in ways to prevent it. And the revelations by Edward Snowden and others that the U.S. government was treating its citizens' privacy with contempt have revealed most of all how much our Constitution has been eroded. Many Americans are asking, what happened? Without privacy, how can one have private thoughts? How can democracy even exist? These are what the First and Fourth Amendments were supposed to guarantee and protect. Throughout the 1980s and 1990s, those Americans who sounded the alarm about rising inequality, the loss of manufacturing jobs, and disappearing civil liberties were largely regarded as the fringe. Although Ross Perot, running on these fringe issues, captured nearly 20% of the vote in 1992. People were starting to wake up back then. Americans began to see as corporations and the very wealthy acquired increasing rights and powers, that their own individual rights under the Constitution were being rapidly diminished. And the degree of liberty they experienced was in a downward spiral, both politically and economically. Today, the rise of grassroots movements on both the right and the left, the Tea Party and Occupy, are ample evidence of revolutionary pressures. Jefferson's observations have been borne out over and over again throughout American history and the history of the world. And now his prescience about revolution confronts us. Not only have political parties sealed their lock on America's political system, but the power of faction, the faction of corporate and multi-generational wealth, have been cemented into place by our Supreme Court. Meanwhile, the founding notion that our government was to be a force for good, fully representing the will and needs of we the people, is ridiculed as a matter of policy by one of our two national parties. The ideals of majority rule, principled compromise, and collaboration and cooperation have been discarded in favor of a relentless effort to destroy the opposing party and its standard bearer. James Madison must be rolling over in his grave. And Thomas Jefferson, were he alive today, would be saying, I warned you, even the high federalists like John Adams and John Marshall and that fervent mercantilist Alexander Hamilton would be shocked by the state of our nation today. One of the most important lessons of the Revolution of 1800 was that when a nation has gone astray, it can be brought back to its senses with a revolution at the ballot box. Once again, we can see the connection between Jefferson and our time by recalling one of his most quoted sentences, the one that circles the dome of the Jefferson Monument in Washington, D.C., uttered in frustration over lies spread during the campaign by extreme religious factions, it stands as a remedy to a free society to rebut the allegations made in our time. Jefferson's rebuttal 200 years ago still stands. He says, I have sworn upon the altar of God eternal hostility against every form of tyranny over the mind of man. The tyranny over the minds of men continues today to include that of the religious zealots, that's who Jefferson was speaking of, by the way, when he wrote those words. But to this faction has been added the factions of transnational corporations and billionaires. In some, our Congress is looking more like the high federalist domination legislature of the eve of Jefferson's Revolution of 1800 
paralyzed and polarized by factions within parties that ignore the vast majority of working people in the United States. In a very real sense, we are still confronting the choice between Hamilton's vision of society, an elitist government owned by the wealthy and bottomed on corruption, or Jefferson's, liberty, freedom, economic equality, and democracy in the interests of the common man. One is the illusion of freedom in a false democracy. The other is the promise of our Declaration of Independence, our Constitution, and the Revolution of 1800. Revolution of 1800 by Dan Sisson and Tom. Tom Harvin here with you and uh, Debbie in Trinidad, California. Hey, Debbie, what's up? Hey, how are you, Tom Hartman? It is such a pleasure to be in touch with you. I've never called your show before, but I listen to you well, all the you. time. Thanks for I'm, listening. I'm just, thank you. I'm just deeply saddened by what's going on in America, and I think that our leaders are, you know, particularly I look at Michigan and Governor Whitmer. I I believe that we're trying to avoid the start of a civil war in the United States right now. And I believe that Trump and his supporters are going to continue to push the limits. The scene at the Michigan Capitol is outrageous. I don't remember what year it was that Bobby Seale was arrested in California and charged with a felony for doing legally exactly the same thing in the Capitol when it was the Black Panthers. It's a race war. It's an economic war. And the sadness for me is that we have taken our eye off climate. We are learning that this pandemic is an early warning of what we're about to endure instead of rebuilding our infrastructure in a way that would correct that. We're seeing huge investments. It's, it's, it's the worst in my lifetime, and I'm 67, and I lived through the assassinations, and I lived through the Kent State shootings, and I lived through the Vietnam War demonstrations, and I was on the BIA building front lawn when Nixon and his uh, National Guard and his riot patrol were facing off with the Native Americans over the uh, Trail of Broken Trees. It's, this is the most disparaged I've felt about my country ever, and I feel powerless, even though I've worked for the League of Women Voters, I've worked in Congress, I've worked in the Florida legislature. I feel powerless right now as to what to do. And I don't have confidence that our election is close enough, that it's not going to be manipulated again. And I'm looking for some sort of guidance on how do we, the powerless, do more to change this situation with the dynamics that are at play right now. Debbie, I guarantee you there are uh, ways that you can influence people in your circle. If you look at the way that authoritarian governments rule, whether it was, you know, the uber authoritarian movement of, you know, fascism in Italy, Spain and and Germany in the 30s, or whether it's uh, what's going on right now with Modi's India or Duterte's Philippines or China's Xi, you know, Russia's Putin, etc. The principal tool that authoritarian governments use, there's two principal tools that they use. The first is powerlessness, making people feel that oh, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what I do. You know, it's, all, it's, all, it's out of my hands. I have no control. I have no agency, essentially. That's number one. And number two is everybody else is corrupt. Right. Both sides do it. We have a Facebook page. We've got a Twitter feed. You know, we're in social media. In fact, the show's available in both places. And both of them attract a lot of trolls. And there's a, an app, and I'm not sure if, how accurate it is, but it uh, purports to be able to identify foreign trolls and, and bots, spam bot or something like that, it's called. And I've been noticing just an explosion on Facebook and Twitter of trolls you know, coming into conversations I'm part of or answering things that I've said, whose message isn't, oh, you're terrible, or oh, we're going to beat you at the election, or oh, you know, these liberals are are living in a fantasy world, you know, the normal kind of conservative attacks. But instead, they're like, 
oh, you know, both sides are terrible and the American system is hopelessly corrupt and Joe Biden is going to be just as bad as, as Donald Trump, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that is that message of despair and powerlessness. And that's actually a more destructive message to democracy than simply coming out and proclaiming their racism or proclaiming their explicit hate. That's, you know, very powerful, very subtle stuff. So, Debbie, the cure for you and me, for all of us, and and in a a way this show is my therapy in that regard, is to reclaim our agency, to reclaim our power, to reclaim our ability to not only control our own lives, but have some influence over the lives of others and use social media, use your friendship networks, use, you know, whatever is available to you. Use your telephone to call your members of Congress. 202, uh, let's see, what's the number? 202-225-3121 is the, the switchboard for the House and Senate contacting your local officials, getting involved with the local Democratic Party. There's so much we can all do, Debbie. Don't give in to the despair. Debbie, I'm sorry I'm out of time. I can't. I don't have enough time for a response. But thank you so much for the call. And thanks for listening to us on SiriusXM. And you all get out there and share progressive media with people. Okay? Tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a wonderful afternoon. Be good You've to yourself. you to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 